Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashwin. And today we are talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954. Directed by Jack Arnold, written by Harry Essex, Arthur Ross, and Maurice Zim, starring Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, Richard Denning, Ben Chapman, and Rico Browning. In this movie, a group of scientists search for an unknown creature after finding a strange fossil along the Amazon River. And this is a request from our listener Rod, who recently joined our Discord server, recently as we're recording this, but months ago when you hear this. Uh, and he asked if we could cover a universal horror film, which I'm ashamed to say we hadn't done yet, and we've probably both not seen very many of them. And this is one of the handful that he had mentioned being among his favorites. Ash, have you seen a single universal horror movie? Uh, I think I saw this one a long time ago. What, what are some of the other big universal All horror right. films? Nice. Uh, Frankenstein, Dracula. Um, they even, I feel like when you think about universal horror, you think of some of those ones from like the 30s oh. and 40s, maybe stretching into the 50s like this one, but The Invisible yeah. Man. And then Were in the these... 20s, they had like Phantom of the Opera. Wow. Um, yeah, I've got a list somewhere, but now I can't find it. Some of the old school classics. Were these also considered like the B-horror films that came out like in the 40s and 50s? Uh, I don't think they would be considered B, really. I mean, oh, some okay. critics denounced them as such. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was like a genre that came out in the 40s and 50s that was all kind of like kitschy and about like uh, aliens and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, may, maybe that, that was like a separate uh, set of movies. I think that there were a lot that were like that and maybe even under Universal there were movies like that. But these classic monster movies... I don't think typically are regarded as B-movies. Sure, yeah. More like um, classic creature features. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's my little list. I mentioned a few of them. Hunchback of Notre Dame, Phantom of the Opera, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man. Wow. Those, I yeah. think, are maybe by critics at the time. Some critics thought they were B-movies, but they've become pretty highly respected classics. Sure, yep. But yeah, then there's also ones... That I think were also under Universal, like, also directed by Jack Arnold. Like, he did one called Tarantula, The Incredible Shrinking Man. I haven't seen those, but just from the covers and the names, they kind of seem like <laughs> B-movies. And I yeah, can't remember yeah. if those are under Universal or not. Oh, okay. But yeah, that was the era that we were in. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, have we seen many movies from this era? Can't not really, of- man. I mean, we did... The Curse of Frankenstein, which was a oh, hammer sure. horror movie that they redid a lot of the Universal stuff. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these things aren't necessarily like owned by Universal, like Dracula and Frankenstein are, are books. Yeah, right, right. The uh, oldest movie we did was Nosferatu from the 20s. Right. And that wasn't Universal, was it? No, no. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. a German movie. But yeah, yeah, I can't, I don't think we've done too much. I think... Originally, when we started this show, the the assumption was I was going to be the one picking all the old movies and you'd pick the new movies, but right. <laughs> I've kind of been slacking on my role there. Oh, we, I know, did, um, we did House on Haunted Hill as our first episode. I think that was 59. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that one's probably the closest to this one in terms of release date, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, no, Curse of Frankenstein was fifty eight, I think. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, we uh, need to uh, we need to start doing more old ones. Uh, do we? We need to. I mean, I don't mind if we uh, don't, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've got anything from the thirties or forties on the books. Yeah, it's probably for the best. How, how scary could something be from the thirties and forties? We didn't we watch Freaks together before we started. Yeah, podcasting? yeah. Did you like that one? Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, I feel like I actually didn't mind that. It was pretty. Cool. I feel like so many of these older horror movies are always just like, yeah, it was it was fine. Like, yeah, I often don't strongly dislike them or love them. House of Haunted Hills, House on Haunted Hills, probably the one that is a little higher for me. Sure, the earliest uh, movie that you love. Yeah, yeah, one of my I, earliest I, experiences in horror. Sure. I, I was just, I'm kind of fascinated to see like how they did stuff back then or like the types of scares or practical effects they would use. Like it's kind of more to watch out, out of like wonder and curiosity. Yeah. The viewing experience is different and it is a lot more analytical. Um, mm-hmm. and you're watching it thinking about the context. Right. Instead of being captivated because a lot of the things that were thrilling back then aren't necessarily thrilling now, at least <laughs> for the two of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think there are a lot of folks who appreciate older movies more than us. And I think, not to toot my own horn, but I think I appreciate the older stuff a little bit more than you. Uh, yeah, that's something Maybe appreciate fair. is the wrong word. Just I think I might enjoy it a little bit more than you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you, don't run, you don't run away from them as fast as I do. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's yeah. interesting, too, because a horror film... Not every horror film. A lot of them are very narrative driven, but oftentimes half the fun is the visual, like the visuals that you're seeing or the mm-hmm. thrills, like the shocks and the awes, and they don't hold up as well when it gets older. So a movie like yeah. this that's built so much about the creature and what you see and how it's shot isn't quite as exciting now when you've seen it. And I'm admittedly a lot of it's probably because you've seen movies that were directly influenced by this movie and it yeah it negates some of the impact that this movie would have yeah 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 you're right like i feel like we're, we're pretty spoiled by like what we've seen in the last uh, 20 30 years and to go back to some of these old movies where they're uh just like using uh, masks and stuff uh it's, it's not gonna be too uh scary but yeah. the, I also think like the, the stories are, they feel pretty rich because like they don't have the, the shock value that maybe we do today. So I, I feel like it lets you focus more on like the characters and, and the story. Yeah. And I just in general, and I know we've talked about this before, older movies just have a bit more space. Like, oh yeah. Which to me is kind of relaxing. Like I feel like I could get up and get popcorn and just let the movie play and come back and I wouldn't yeah. miss that much. Yeah. No, that's really true. A lot of new movies, there. I feel like they're compressed. It's like event after event. Um, but I actually, I you know, uh, some of the new filmmakers, I feel like, are taking that more uh, relaxed or slow pace. Like uh, the guy who did The Witch, uh, Ari Aster with like Hereditary and Midsummer. Like those are like very slow films. And maybe that's like the style they're going back to is uh, something similar to what was going on back then. Yeah, maybe a little bit. We keep talking about 3D lately. I think... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we talked about it in My Bloody Valentine and Friday the 13th Part 3. We talked about the two different ways to do 3D, like the blue and red glasses from Friday the 13th, and then later on the polarized method from My Bloody Valentine. But it turns out that the polarized method was what they used in the 50s. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so it wasn't blue and red glasses for this. This was this was shot in theater, 3D in some theaters 
projected it in 3D. Not all of them. It didn't even sound like maybe not even most of them. Yeah. But yeah. they did They did the same. I'm sure it was different and less advanced, but they did the same method of the kind of two main ways to do 3D that is done today with, like, that was done with Avatar. That's wild. So uh, they did that. And then, um, like, in the 60s, 70s, the blue and red glasses came out, and then they reverted back to this style of 3D? I don't point. know the entire history. Like, they may have coexisted because... <laughs> <laughs> the only real evidence I can call back to is uh, Back to the Future takes place in the 50s. And as we mentioned in one of the episodes, that the dude in Biff's posse wears the red and blue glasses. Oh, yeah. As like a fashion statement? Yeah. So they yeah. may have existed and overlapped and and everything. It seems like the 3D was big in the 50s and then had Renaissance a little bit in the 80s and now it's coming back again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was in the wake, this movie was in the wake of House of Wax from 1953, which was 3D and a big success. Yeah. It's weird. Cause like, yeah, watching this film, uh, it didn't jump out as, uh, as a 3D film. Like it, you didn't see like a lot of those effects. Did you, did you notice anything? No. And maybe if you watched again, knowing, cause I, I don't know about you, but when I watched it, I had no idea that 3D was involved at all. Yeah. Same. Same. Um, but usually, sometimes you can watch a movie and not know it and be like, oh, yep, this was 3D because now a pole <laughs> yeah. is poking into the camera. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why would they be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> That's usually how you know 3D when they like go out of the way to like show you some uh, some scene and then you're like, oh, this must be in 3D. <laughs> that yeah. I actually out. watched House. Oftentimes on Halloween, I try to get my wife, who hates horror movies, to watch a horror movie with me. And sometimes I'll pick old ones because I know they're easy. Yeah. So I think it was two Halloweens ago we did House of Wax. And mm-hmm. I don't think I was aware or had forgotten that it was 3D. And then, like, the dude outside the House of Wax trying to get people to come in has a paddle ball. Oh. <laughs> and he's, like, hitting it right into the camera for, like, a solid two minutes. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is oh, 3D. Oh, this must be 3D. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but this movie did not have anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that must be really sad for the filmmakers that, like, that's how people know it's 3D because you yeah. threw in a two-minute paddle ball scene. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. I wonder if they assumed at some point that home TVs could do 3D as well, but... Yeah, never caught up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame, but... Uh, uh, so so this film was released in 3D, but then I, I think probably more people saw it in 2D then. Is that is that what you're saying? It sounds like it. I don't even think... I couldn't find an exact number, but it almost sounded like less than half of the movie... Yeah. Goers who saw it saw it in 3D. Sure, just because it's sense. expensive to get the the theaters the right projectors and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised this movie's rated G. Is this like the first G movie we're watching in this club? Oh, was it? I didn't even think about what it would be rated. I think I think it was G. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know. Yeah, just a, a horror movie that's rated G. I mean, I, I guess there's nothing like too uh, crazy. I mean, people die and stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised it would be rated G. I wonder if they I don't know when PG came into play. Yeah, right. Uh yeah, I don't know. That seems like maybe a retroactive rating. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think when they even started rating movies. I think feel like there was a time where they didn't. Uh yeah, you're probably right. Uh that'd be really interesting to look into the the history of ratings when they came out. Yeah. How they kind of applied. Yeah. Um did you read about how this the Gill Man, um, who is considered one of the classic Universal monsters, was designed by a woman? But yeah, not she, nobody really knew about it. 
Yeah, that, that's crazy. It was just thrown under. And you think it was because she was a woman that no one ever mentioned it? Or was there some other reason? Yeah, I mean, it definitely played a role. It sounds like the head of Universal Studios' makeup department, Bud Westmore, was basically jealous of her and deliberately downplayed her role. Wow. Yeah. She went on a press tour that was dubbed The Beauty Who Created the Beast, and he changed the name of the tour to The Beauty Who Lived with the Beast. Wow. And oh then when God. she got back from the tour, she learned that she had been fired. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. But as far as anyone knows, she was the first woman to work in a special effects and makeup department. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of a, a leader there, and it's too bad she didn't get credit for like so long. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like people really didn't know anything about it, or if they did, they forgot until I think there was a mention of it in a 2011 article that came out online that I don't know how big that article was, but it's really only recently that a lot of people have been talking about it because of a 2019 book by a woman named Mallory O'Meara called Mm -hmm. The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Oh, cool. They wrote a book on her? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty interesting book. Yeah, yeah, check that out. That's been a pretty uh, interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of how women were uh, represented here, even the actress, Julia Adams, uh, I saw in some places she's credited as Julie Adams. Uh, I couldn't figure out why, like in some iterations it's Julia, other times it's Julie. Did did you see anything about that? You'll see that a lot on IMDb, like Mark Smith, credited as Mark R. Smith. Oh. I think people just brand their, their names differently for whatever reason or maybe just by mistake. Yeah, I, I can't tell if it was like her or if it was uh, some other reason. Uh, I meant to look into that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, pointy boobs were big in the 50s. Oh, does that explain the swimsuits? <laughs> yeah. And uh, even the cover, I think, uh, is kind of some pointing going on. Yeah, I mean, even like bras, in the, it was a whole style where these weirdly pointy bras. Yeah, I'm surprised that hasn't come back. Yeah, maybe it will. Yeah. If we if we can live long enough. <laughs> right. I'll go for a circle, full circle and come back. Um so yeah, I mean the and the design, the monster, it is impressive, especially for the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. And you see for better or worse in terms of scariness, the entire thing in vivid detail for a good chunk of the movie. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty impressive that it's not like, oh, there's a seam, or that looks explicitly fake. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, you, you thought the monster was done, like, pretty well, like, uh, for the amount of screen time it had and what they showed? I thought it was done well. It's not necessarily scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, What do you I, think? Agreed. I'm not sure how scary it's supposed to be. but yeah. Or maybe you're right, you know, maybe we've just seen, like, so much since that, like, this kind of thing isn't scary anymore. Well, and I know, I mean, this is a classic monster and the design is great and it's impressive for the 50s, but it, it kind of looks like the creature is smiling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. It just looks and, a little bit dopey and not, not as menacing. Yeah, and because it's like uh, half fish, its mouth is always like opening and closing. Yeah, which yeah, I think of, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just kind of like looks like a fish man, I guess. The hand was very creepy. I feel like you went from seeing just the hand to like, okay, here's the whole thing now. And yeah. it, it wasn't very suspenseful. Yeah, yeah. The early on shots of just like the hand coming out of the water, uh, th- those are a little scarier. Yeah. Because uh, it was, it was kind of like a claw with like uh, webbing around it. Right, yep. Pretty neat. Um, yeah. 
one one thing uh, I observed uh, in watching this. So uh, this came out in the fifties, like twenty years before I think King Kong came out. Isn't this the exact same plotline as King Kong? And it kind of makes you realize. And we talked about we just recorded right before we started recording this one on episode on Alien. The plot really isn't that different. I mean, a monster movie plot is often pretty similar. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, but I feel like this Jurassic like... Park is not not too different on bare yeah. bones. No, that's true. Actually, yeah, that kind of follows this formula. But like, I, I don't know. I just feel like to the T. Like you got this team of uh, people on an expedition, and uh, there's your you know the guy who's funding the project, and the guy uh, who's like the scientist, and that you know constant. Uh, tension between them and then like the the girl who's like with the guy and uh and yeah i guess the basically the jurassic park formula you're right um and then like the the scene where like the monster kind of takes the girl which uh happens in (laughs) king kong and kind of happens here too it's funny that like these movies are rated g and it never comes out and says this but the underlying assumption in all these scenarios is that this monster wants to take this woman back to its lair and have non-consensual yeah. bestial sex with her <laughs> exactly <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> yeah they never get to that part <laughs> like yikes <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> someone else spoils the party yeah. uh yeah yeah right that's kind of the messed up part <laughs> which i you know I've, I've heard criticisms of king kong and i wonder if this one falls into the same one where it's like portraying like uh that whole idea of like the western developed world and like the eastern or, or whatever you know like kind of uh developing countries and being like a little more uh um you know less civilized than like coming after like the the the, the white woman i guess uh which is kind of i feel like kind of place to that same uh that same formula yeah maybe yeah yeah as these all these white dudes flick their cigarettes into the amazon river yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bleeding the world. Yeah. Um, do you see they're doing a reboot of this? It is not a sure thing. Oh, okay. From what I saw, unless you saw otherwise. Um, I thought I saw like Gal Gadot's name mentioned, but uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah, Gal Gadot. <laughs> it's not Gadot's. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gal. Pronunciation of the week. Oh, so yeah. is mispronunciation. Um, I thought Gal Gadot was in a different Universal movie that they were kicking around. Uh, Brides of Frankenstein. Brides yeah, of Frankenstein. she was going to be the lead in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm confusing it with. Is it, I, so basically, Universal was going to try to redo all, reboot all this, all the Universal monster stuff, and call it the Dark Universe. Yeah. Then they released the Mummy in 2017, and it tanked, so that killed their plan. <laughs> but now they've handed it over to Blumhouse, and Blumhouse is starting with The Invisible Man, which is going to yeah. be released probably by the time people hear this, I think. Really? Uh, okay. It comes out in February. I can't remember when we're releasing this episode. but yeah. So I think Blumhouse, depending on how The Invisible Man goes, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a reboot of this and another Universal stuff eventually. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, is it just me or does Blumhouse just have a bunch of movie to like a bunch of money to like throw at like uh, not potentially successful ideas? I feel like they're all over the place, putting out mediocre stuff like every day, and uh, none of it's like really a home run lately. Um, I think they're just putting out a large volume, and some of it's hits and some of it's misses. Yeah, I guess they also have like a deal with Universal where Universal distributes a lot of their stuff. So, yeah. Um. I think that's why you're 
why they're doing the universal monster stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But this was going to be remade at many points throughout history, and it never quite took off. Like, John Landis was involved at one point in the 80s. John Carpenter involved in a thing that never got out of development in the 90s. Peter Jackson was offered directorial spot, but uh, he chose King Kong instead. And then Guillermo del Toro was going to do it at one point, and that later evolved into The Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I saw it definitely, and I think he said that there's uh, that Shape of Water was inspired by this movie. And I feel like yeah. there's a lot of similarities between the monsters as well. Oh, for sure. They look very similar. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's impressive no one's been able to do a remake of this. It doesn't seem like a hard one to remake. Yeah, right? Yeah, I got some. Maybe, maybe that's what we could do. All right, let's do it. All right, I'm done. <laughs> the first thing we tackle. Yes. <laughs> remake of a beloved classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got it. Uh, you got any other background on this movie? We've really, we're running kind of over on time. Yeah, I know. Uh, nothing else from me. You got any connections to Ohio? Uh, the music. Music was done by Henry Mancini, who was born in Cleveland. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, if that name sounds familiar to you, Ash, we talked about him in a episode, a test episode that we did on the movie Wait Until Dark. Oh, Wait until dark. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. the one with Audrey Hepburn from the early right. 60s. Yep. Was she blind? Early, maybe late 60s. Is she blind in that one? Yep. Oh, yeah. Cool. He did the music for that one? Yep. That was a nice. great movie, listeners. If you haven't seen that, check that out. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That one is called a, it's tagged a horror movie on IMDb, but it's pretty, it's kind of just a thriller. Yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. Kind of home invasion ish. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and Audrey Hepburn, so it's a lovable movie. Yep. So, sure. man, uh, anything else, or should we move on to the plot and spoil some things? Yeah, let's get to the plot. Cool. Actually, you know what, man? Do you mind if we continue this tomorrow night? I've got to get up early for a fishing trip with my father-in-law tomorrow morning. Ah, oh, man. Okay, sure. Or is it, I mean, if you didn't understand that sentence, I believe you call it a fish hunting trip. Oh, a fish hunting trip. Oh, okay, and I know what you're talking about. That sounds good. Cool, cool. All right, well, I'll call All you tomorrow right. night. All right, have fun. All right, later, man. Bye. All right, hey, buddy. How's it going? Hey, man. Good, good. How's the fish hunting? Good, good. It was good. I'm not really very familiar with fishing, and my father-in-law's an expert, so as he was trying to uh, explain the basics to me, I just kind of slipped some fish poison into the lake, and all the fish <laughs> rose to the top, and I scooped up a handful, and we were done. Oh, my God. Yo, was that... <laughs> is that is that for real, that uh, that poison that you can just drop in the lake? I looked it up, man. It's it's for real. I think it's called rotenone. So why are people still fishing? Why wouldn't you just do that all the time? <laughs> I think it's because it utterly destroys everything in its path. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's got to have some bad impacts. Uh, I don't know for sure how destructive it is, but it can't be good. Yeah. I'd be a little worried too about like eating uh, fish that's ingested poison. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's that's hilarious though. (laughs) seemed pretty effective. Yep. Uh, Anyway, so the plot of this movie involves a dude, I think he's a geologist maybe, called Dr. Carl. 
He discovers a fossil of a giant claw with webbed fingers in a tributary of the Amazon, and he goes to the nearby Marine Institute and asks his former student and friend David to study the fossil. David ends up taking it to his boss, Mark, and they decide to get a group together and go on an expedition to the Amazon to look into this further. They bring along a crew of a few folks, uh, notably David's girlfriend and colleague, Kay. And throughout this, the setup they paint David as kind of a pure and pure scientist and a moral character as well, and then Mark is more being interested in money and notoriety. Which is also pure, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a pure, pure economist. Capitalism. Yeah, pure capitalist, exactly. Um, oh man, that's kind of a Jurassic Park parallel too. I mean, yeah, John Hammond yeah. isn't purely interested in money, but he's a little blind. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like, kind of like this, this guy's like the producer of it or something, or a financer as a background, and then two scientists, right. a couple. Yep, we see that a little bit in Alien too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Interesting. Basically, logic versus corporate interests, I guess. Which some could argue is pretty logical. <laughs> um, when they get back they've to the Amazon, they find Dr. Carl's two assistants that he left at camp have been killed by what he presumes is a jaguar, but we know better because we saw the webbed hand emerge from the water, and I think we saw the full body shot here, and the gill man walks into their tent and kills them. Uh, I don't remember seeing the full body shot. I remember like they just like looked really scared on their face. But yeah, yeah I remember you see the hand. But are you sure you see the the gill man in the uh, tents? I thought we saw him in the tent, but now I can't remember. I can't remember when we get the full reveal on the gill man. Yeah. But I remember after like some pretty effective ominous shots of the hand, it was like all of a sudden there he was, and it was yeah. just kind of like, oh, oh, <laughs> fish man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So. This group is now searching the area for fossils, but they can't find any. One of them suggests that, hey, this tributary of the Amazon empties into a lagoon called the Black Lagoon by the locals, and maybe some more of the fossils emptied into the river and were taken by the current to the lagoon. So they go to the lagoon to see, um, and that's when we get the first underwater shot of the creature, I think. Kay goes for a swim, and he's swimming underneath her, just kind of checking her out, it seems. Yeah. I, th- I thought this was like a beautiful scene, like the choreography of this, uh, her like on top and on, of the water and him like f- uh, swimming under her. Uh, it kind of felt like very well um, like sequenced and uh, Yeah, I mean the underwater shots were really impressive for the time, even for today. Yeah, I didn't even know they had underwater cameras back then. That's that's mind-blowing. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like that sequence a lot. Did you like that part? Yeah, I did quite a bit. And yeah. apparently there were two different actors, one that played the gill man on land and one that played him in the water. Oh, weird. And the guy who played him in the water was also an underwater cinematographer. I don't know if he worked on this movie as a cinematographer too, but he had experiences as an underwater cinematographer as well. Yeah, that's really strange to kind of use the same guy for underwater and uh, above water. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of... Yeah, you think they would have just used the same guy underwater above land, guy. but this yeah. dude had to... Uh, God, what a nightmare to be underwater in that suit, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah Says he had to hold his breath for upwards of five minutes at a time. Right. Yeah, this sounded like a tough suit to be in. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's just kind of ogling Kay. And 
we eventually start to see more of the creature and even the crew sees him so they now believe he exists and he slowly starts to knock off members of the crew one by one but we never actually see the deaths happen on screen as far as i know right ash yeah i think i think we see him like maybe grab one and like toss them aside but we never see like a vivid death no yeah i know vivid deaths um or it's like that 50s thing where all you need for someone to die is for the monster to like grab them by the shoulders for a while exactly just like hold their face for a second (laughs) yeah uh, almost like a, like a like an instantaneous strangling. Yeah. Um, they finally trap him in a cage, and I'm pretty sure they do that by putting this poison in the water. Oh yeah. They, yep. Mm-hmm. And they have him on the boat, but he gets loose, kills another dude, and retreats. And this is when kind of the two mainish characters, Mark and David, their kind of conflict the whole time comes to a head. And David's like, let's just get the hell out of here and preserve the life of what crew is left. And Mark's like, no, we've got to catch this thing. Yep. Mark gets outvoted. Everyone's like, yeah, let's get out of here. And they learn that the Gilman has barricaded them into the lagoon with these logs. I thought that was awesome. Like the how, how like the the monster kind of set up a trap for them. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and as they're trying to clear the barrier, Mark gets killed. Creature kidnaps Kay and takes her back to its lair in the typical, like, monster lady in the, uh, like, holding her in the baby cradle position. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the dudes eventually find the both of them. They shoot up Gilman, and he dies, and Kay is saved, and that's the end of the movie. Does uh, does he die, or does he... I feel like he goes away. I forget if I see him explicitly I thought die. he, like, went into the water, but then died in the water. Oh, yeah, it does show him, like, yeah, swim down and stuff and then just kind of hang out there. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought they kind of tried to leave it open because then there is, like, a sequel and, and they, they there's another one and after, like, two sequels, I guess. Yeah, that's true. There are two sequels. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if maybe the creature isn't really dead or if there are others of its kind. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not too sure either. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, man? Um, you As know, a I thought person f- who doesn't like who's on record is not liking old movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, actually, I, th- I thought for an old film, uh, I really you know enjoyed the story, and I thought the dialogue was really good and characters well set up. I didn't care too much for the the two guys uh, and the friction between um, uh, Mark and Dan. Is that the other guy? David. Or Dave. David. Yeah. Uh, like that whole like bro fight that they were doing the whole time, where you know one's the scientist, the other's like the financer. Um, I feel like that like felt like very much like other movies that we've seen and I uh, could have done without. Um, but otherwise, like I, I thought the, the dialogue, the characters, the, the, the shooting all was pretty good. This monster wasn't too scary as you mentioned. Um, but kind of a, I, th- I thought overall like an enjoyable watch and like well-paced. What, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was just overall a pretty competent movie. Um, nothing really blew me out of the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing wrote known to me. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it was entertaining, good popcorn movie. It, it's interesting yeah. when some of the structure of the movie is built around scenes that are supposed to be mind-blowing to an audience, which 50, 60, 70 years later are just kind of yeah not, are a little underwhelming. So Do you mean like the, uh, the underwater shots? Yeah, yeah, oh, which okay. were still really cool and like could be appreciated now. Look yeah. back and be like, damn, they did that a good job with that in the 50s. I know. But I was imagine in the theaters back then, it was like absolutely awe-inspiring. Yeah, right. To see those underwater shots. Yeah, I know. I I, I thought I'd read more about that, but it, I it didn't. They didn't go into depth about it. But 
that is really cool that they had that technology back then. Yeah. Good good usage of it. And, uh, For sure. And especially, like, uh, I kept thinking, like, the lighting was, like, pretty good. You could, like, see what was going on underwater, and it wasn't, like, very dark or murky or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely impressive, the underwater yep. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good work there. Uh, um, I asked Rod for a quote because I was afraid neither of us would like this movie, and I hate to have someone request something just for us to trash it. <laughs> um, and he said it was a simpler time where you actually had a guy in a monster suit. Agree. That's very yeah enjoyable. Um, yeah. The movie is set in my home country of Brazil. I didn't know he was from Brazil until then. That's awesome. And the movie is your simple monster movie, not that many scares, but I love the style of the creature and the suspense it can create. Yeah. I do think that I was a little underwhelmed by the suspense, though. The suspense overall? I could. I thought they could have done better with, with that aspect of it. Yeah. Because it was kind of like that hand was very creepy, and then he just, all of a sudden, he w- we were seeing him head to toe, and that was that. Sure, yeah, yeah. They could have handed that up a bit. I, I think where like they laid on the suspense uh, was like when uh, he, he was tracking her underwater. I thought that was like a very suspenseful scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any anytime like he came up, I think it's tough to keep that suspense because he's like such a goofy looking guy. They it kind of like deflates the situation a bit. Yeah. And and his mouth is always like kind of uh but what would he call that that thing that fish do? Blubbing. Blubbing. <laughs> yeah. His mouth <laughs> blub, his blub. mouth was always agape. Yeah, yeah. It's kinda of opening and closing. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I, I thought the chase sequences, like they, they all like made sense too though, like how they were hunting him down. Uh, and then I also thought, like, it did a good job of, like, capturing that greed, which I guess now other movies do, but, like, where there's that guy who just wants to capture it and take it back for money. Otherwise, right. like, the whole trip's a failure and, like, that kind of pressure of greed and capitalism uh, in a in in the Amazonian, you know, kind of like a, a place that's meant to be preserved in this. Right, and like kind of like raping the natural world in the pursuit of science. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like that part of it. It's yeah. Commentary. Yeah, it's a cool theme there. And yeah. I think you could, if you redid this movie today, you'd definitely want to touch on a little bit of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, what, uh, yeah, I mean, didn't you feel like this was exactly King Kong in a way? Yeah, I mean, it really is. That The the layout of most monster movies to me, though, isn't that radically different than this. That's true. That's true. You capture something, you bring it back. It goes after yeah. the girl. Tries to rape her. Yeah. Sounds um, about right. One thing I noticed in this movie that I've made me think of uh, our viewing of Nosferatu, there's a bat at one scene that sounds like it's a seagull. Oh. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure a noise a bat would never make. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting how in these old movies they don't really have to worry about things like that because I assume the general public didn't really know what a bat sounded like. Oh, yeah, sure. Because remember in Nosferatu there were werewolves that were just hyenas? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, so that he saw that, right? Outside the window. <laughs> No one knows what a wolf looks like. No one knows what a hyena or a wolf looks like. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was that bat, was that one of like the 3D shots? Because I feel like that bat maybe flew Oh, you someone. know what? Maybe, maybe, because that was kind of purposeless almost. Yeah, yeah. That was that was strange. And um, some of the suspense stuff too, You see, not only do you see a lot of the monster and like full body shots of the monster, but it's almost always in the daytime. Yeah, right. Right, um, which is impressive that they were able to fully light the suit and that it still looked great. Yeah, yeah, I never felt like oh, that's obviously like a suit. Like it was, it was a pretty good looking suit, except for like being kind of comical. But it was effective. Yeah, yeah, the face looked a little comical. I mean, the face, 
was my least favorite part, even though technically it did look really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there was an opportunity for some scariness in the face area that it was lacking. Right. Um, And the way he moved in the suit, too, was pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Like to see that not only the full suit, but to see it swim underwater and have it still look good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was also impressed for like the 50s. Like that, that was a great, uh, well built suit and like the way it was done underwater is pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so zero to five doses of rotenone. What do you give this? Um, you know, I think I'd give it a four. I think for its time, it was, it was like a pretty good movie, pretty watchable, and uh, it doesn't feel like it's aged all that much. Um, and outside of like the monster not being that scary, I feel like it's a pretty good story, despite being like a little bit unoriginal. So actually, maybe three and a half. Three and a half, uh, okay. yeah, doses. What about you? Damn, man, I'm surprised. Look at you liking old movies. I know. <laughs> Don't get used to it, though. What, uh, what about you? <laughs> uh, I give it a three. I think there's just generally something I like about the, the pacing of these old movies and just, yeah, very, like, popcorn and relaxed. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't wasn't very scary or particularly clever. It's pretty paint-by-numbers, but it was still fun. Yeah. Yep. You know, there's one thing uh, I feel like each of the decisions they would make, uh, like in the conversations that w- they would have between the scientist, the, the the guy who was financing it, and the other doctor, I just felt like those like felt very logical in terms of what they were doing and coming up with. Um, so I, I, there was never a point where I was like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, I, I just like the, yeah, it may, maybe it goes back to what you were saying about the pacing, where it just feels very natural. Right. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I like that aspect. Cool. All right, man. Anything else or should we wrap up? I'm good. All right. Cool. Well, that is all for our discussion on Creature from the Black Lagoon, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show. Uh, You can join the conversation by following us on Facebook or Twitter or chatting with us on our Discord server. You can find the links to all of those under the social links button on our website, horrormovieclub.com. Or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter. Um, If you want to follow us there, you'll know ahead of time what we're going to cover. And every once in a while, we'll post our full-blown schedule because we often have quite a backlog. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub if you want to financially support the show for a buck a month you can do that and gain access to a little bit of bonus content that we put out there every now and then and hope to do more of that soon and i think that's about it so until next time if you're going deep into the amazon to investigate a mysterious fossil dress in non-flattering swimmer so as not to perk the interest of any lone survivors of a fairly unattractive species i'll have to leave my uh, pointy bra at home yeah <laughs> Leave that pointy bra hanging on its hook. Yeah, that's what keeps me floating, man. (laughs) Could be used as a weapon if need be. Oh, true, yeah.